Hi, and uh, welcome to We've Been Had, a song-by-song walk through the songs of Uncle Tupelo. I'm Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. And uh, today we finally finish off Still Feel Gone. Uh, I hate to say it, but you know, we were saying offline, like this album, it feels like it's kind of lingered with us for a while. And yeah, and I think I think one of the, not to, not to bury the lead, but one of the, the things we'll maybe talk about later is it's just sort of how this album came to be and what they were trying to accomplish with this album. Yeah, and and, and what effect it leaves on people. Um, so today we close off the album proper with If That's All Right, and then if we go into the bonus tracks on the Legacy Edition, uh, what, we've got Saugat Wind, we've got I Want to Destroy You, and then... A bunch of kind of outros and alternative versions. Yeah. Do you have uh, any idea who came up with the idea of, like... Like the reissue with bonus tracks? I don't know when that first happened. I I kind of feel like the 1990 Led Zeppelin box set, you know, I don't know if that was the first time that kind of thing was done, but that feels like at least a watershed moment of, of that kind of thing. Just the five disc one or the 10 disc one? Yeah, no, the, I think it was four in the first one. Four, um, that's right. Yeah, that had like, you know remastered versions of the hits but then also like oh my god it's traveling riverside blues this hasn't seen the light of day in 30 years and i feel like that's one of those like like gateway things of like of a like upper middle class suburban existence was that led zeppelin <laughs> box set yeah there's a point where you just you had to have it on your shelf that's yeah, so I'd, I'd make this joke a lot but the that you know, as your college starter kit, you should just get a copy of Bob Marley Legend because <laughs> you're you're probably going to acquire it anyway. Yep. At least when I was in college. Yep. And so like, I feel like so many people that I went to high school with had that Led Zeppelin box set. Yeah. It was sort of like, and I I don't even think I had it. I think I was one of the ones who was like, was the, yeah, the poser. I am disappointed. I oh man, I had it and just adored it. That was. Yeah, I borrowed it from a couple different people, so I, I guess I functionally had it. I, I was sort of, I was sort of co-owning it with three, three or four <laughs> different people. Well, in practice, it kind of sucked because if you had that, then you ended up not buying the albums, and in, you know, in all those cases, then there would be like good album tracks that you didn't have. That's why this approach of like reissuing the full album and just sticking shit on the end, I think this is a better approach. Yeah, it's just it. And I remember, I mean, I because I'm an Uncle Tupelo fan, I bought the reissue. Yeah. But it's like, you already own the album. Is it worth it to buy it for another two or three songs? Yeah. Sometimes it is. Yeah. I, I know like the uh, the reissued version of Ziggy Stardust that came out in the 90s, like that was the thing where they included all the B-sides and singles not takes. And like most of the songs that I heard, most of my favorite songs on that album are things that got you know that had been just like b-sides that were included on yeah it's weird it's weird how that sometimes works yeah i don't know anyway um shall we dig in yeah all right ready Okay, well, song one, if that's all right, uh, the song where the album just kind of peters out. <laughs> it, uh, I, I really do wonder what the backstory is on this song because it's basically Jeff Tweedy just playing a distorted guitar and singing. Yeah. And so 
is it like, did they need another song for the record or were they just, it's like a throwaway demo that they decided to include. I, yeah, I would buy any of those things. It's like, I, I don't know that there's another song in their canon that is solely one person. At least yeah. not that I can think of. Not, nothing, yeah. I guess, I mean, there is, someone's playing the organ there too. So there's someone yeah, else contributing something. But it's, it is this weird thing. Like, no shots fired on Jeff Tweedy. Um, you know, he was doing really good stuff then intermittently and went on to become you know, a musician who made a lot of things I love. But at that point, it's like, here, we're going to close the album by handing the solo reins over to the, you know, extremely junior partner. Right. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's kind of like when you, uh, well, this is, this is going to be really far afield, but there's this, uh, this documentary on John Coltrane called chasing terrain. Okay. And they, uh, they, play these recordings of John Coltrane during when he was in the Navy. Okay. And he was, he played the saxophone in the Navy and they're just, and every panelist they have on there is trying to dance around the fact that they're really unremarkable. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's like this revered figure in jazz music and they're like, "Eh." you know, nobody bats a thousand. Right. Yeah. Everybody was gets, young once. It gets better. I guess it all comes back to like the end of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, right? Yep. I assure you, they do get better. We should just, if George Carlin were still alive, I would say we should have him on the show just to say that. Well, I, this song reminds me of a thing that happened when I was like an Uncle Tupelo super fan, too. Um, we've talked before about uh, my Uncle Lyle, who's like five years older than me, um, you know, so... Functionally, he acted more like kind of a somewhat distant older brother than an uncle. Um, You know, and I'm like trying to get a band together and trying to like make like super Uncle Tupelo-y music. And he's got a band together that plays covers in Nebraska bars. But, you know, they I mean, they would, for a single gig, they would get paid more than I made in 15 years of playing shows in the Twin Cities. But I just remember writing a song that was like super Uncle Tupelo-y and like, you know, I was super proud of it. And I recorded it and... I think the whole band recorded it. Um, you know, I think we had like a full on, we had a bass part, we had drums, um, but you know, the, the guitar chords, it was just like a strummed guitar, not doing anything. And I played it for him. I was super proud. I'm like, Hey Lyle, I wrote this song. What do you think? And he's like, this isn't finished. Like this is, this is the start of a song, but you can't just have, you can't just like strum chords and mumble, you know, you need, you need something his, else happening. I think history's going to prove him wrong on that one. I don't know. I think he was right. I, he was right about that song, and I think that's the same thing going on with If That's All Right. Like, Isn't your Uncle Lyle the same guy who shot an arrow up into the air in the middle of the night and landed in uh, Eric's uh, parents' roof? Yes. Yeah. Huh? Maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe. So, so he's not great on archery safety, <laughs> but he, had, he was right about what it takes to actually have a song. I guess you don't have to be generally brilliant to, to have brilliant <laughs> moments is the, exactly. is the lesson there. Yes. It's, it, I don't know. It, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a great song, but it, it's, you can kind of see the seeds of the, of the Tweety. Well, the one thing I think is interesting is the guitar part is it starts out doing the same change as I must be high. The first Wilco song. I don't think that was like intentional, but I think that's pretty wild. Yeah. That's, that's I had not, not noticed that. I mean it 
so I mean, the challenge is it's like unless you're Bob Dylan, it's hard to pull off a song that <laughs> that has all right in it that many times. Yeah. I, you know, it's the same thing on uh, Cold Shoulder. You know, where he just he has like a good line and just keeps repeating it. Here, it's not even that great a line that he just. You can't just like keep saying the same words and say, "Hey, here's my song." Yeah, I mean, unless you're like, unless you're able to do like the like the Tom Waits trick or the Bob Dylan trick, where you say it differently enough that yeah. it sounds like a different word. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it's it just sounds repetitive and just kind of dull. And I mean, I do like the as I was reading through the lyrics, I, I like the idea of. You know, when you look back, when I look back at my life, it's like a slideshow out of focus. Like, yeah. I think that's kind of a cool idea. That's, yeah. That's, you know, like I've felt that way sometimes. Like I'm just sort of going through the motions and yeah. not, you know, like one may look at it like there's a, gr- there's a bigger plan, but I'm not aware of it. Like I'm just sort of participating. Well, and you know, I guess there he's also, he's like dipping into the same well that the end of the first season of Mad Men does. You know, like memories as slideshow, blah blah blah. Yeah, um, it's a good metaphor, but it's not. Would you be surprised if you learned that the entire show Mad Men was based on just this song? <laughs> yes, yes, I would. But I think John Hamm's from St. Louis, so there's an outside chance that he was at least exposed to Uncle Tupelo, which has nothing to do with anything. But I yeah, like, yeah, I, I like it when people are from the Midwest. I guess. <laughs> What if they're like really shitty people that are from the books, like, you know, like Scott Walker or something? I think thanks to Scott Walker, I don't know if Wisconsin even gets to be the Midwest anymore. I think Wisconsin is its own thing now. We've traded them to the Rust Belt. Or... I think so. Let's see. Yeah, I don't know. I just so one thing I was thinking of with this song. Imagine a counterfactual where Uncle Tupelo records still feel gone and then wraps it up you know what if this was their last song just what a weird way to end it that would have been yeah i mean just i guess having the benefit of hindsight it'd be really disappointing because they they go on to make two really good albums after this but i wonder what the that is a good question i don't know what it would be like I, i don't think they would be revered to the same degree they are yeah and honestly, I'm not sure either of their solo careers would have taken off the way they did. Yeah, I don't know that they would have like stepped into the fully split major label deals, you know, if if they were coming off of this. But it does. You can kind of start to see the like the the veering directions that they want to take yeah. musically. Yeah. And it, uh, yeah, it, it, it's just a. It's kind of neat to, and I think I say this every episode, but it's neat to to kind of go back and, with the benefit of seeing what what both of them end up getting into, to see the to try to trace that back. That's kind of fun. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't want to cut. I don't want to not give if that's all right. It's full due, but I don't know that I have much else to say about this one. Yeah, there isn't a ton to say. It's uh, it's not. Uh, it's interesting to to me, and I guess this kind of slides into the next song that they chose this song to be on there and not the next song that's on the uh, on the expanded list the socket wind song which i think is actually a much better song let's uh let's take a break and come back to that yeah 
And we're back. Let's uh, let's get into Saugat Wind then. So you like it better? I like it better than if that's all right. Um, I was kind of curious as to why they didn't put it on the album. Is, do, you, do you think it's like too too much of a downer? I, I I was trying to figure that out myself. I think yeah. I mean, it could be. It, it's a hell of a downer, but that doesn't usually stop <laughs> right, them. Yeah. Um, my impression is that Saugat Wind is an older song. Like I think it was one that they demoed before they got their got their deal, um, and so maybe they were tired of it. it. It does do this weird thing where like it has a big like quiet loud dynamic, but yeah. not the same way that their other songs ended up having. And so maybe they just felt like it was old and it was a quiet loud dynamic is really is really impressive because as far as I can tell, the the guitar solo is only like two chords. Yeah, like I think I think he's just moving between two chords but he, he uses some combination of like distortion and i don't i don't know if there's an overdub in there or something to make it to make it sound really haunting yeah there's like this huge like reverby sound on the guitar and the drums so it just sounds like they're like shaking a warehouse to its foundations or something yeah it's really it's really a neat sound it reminds me a lot of their uh their cover of effigy yeah it's got that same kind of like the guitar has got that same kind of feel to it. Yeah. Well, it's funny to me, like when we were finishing up No Depression, we talked about how back in the 90s, I Got Drunk was like kind of this legend song. You know, you knew it was out there, but, you know, at, at that time it wasn't easy to get. And I had kind of the same thing with Saugat Wind, where like in the 90s I knew they had a song called Saugat Wind, and I thought that was a just a kick-ass title. But I, you know, there wasn't an easy way to hear the song for quite a while. So like, it's this weird thing to hear it and be like, oh, well, yeah, okay, that's a pretty good song. I, it is a mystery why it wasn't on the album. It, uh, I did some limited research. Okay. Uh, research might be aggressive. I Googled Saugat. Um, and it's, a, it's actually kind of a grim place. Like it's a town in okay. Illinois. Okay. That's uh, across the river from St. Louis. There. I've never heard of this online publication, but there's a publication called Belt Magazine, which okay. bills itself as dispatches from the Rust Belt. Okay. Uh, that has a, a really good article about, and it's actually titled, I think that's why I found it. It's got the part of the Uncle Tupelo song in the title. Oh. But uh, really an interesting place. And I, the, the, guy, the guy had an interesting quote, and I'm going to read them out of order because I think they not to edit his work, but I, I feel like they, they go better. Sure. So the the first one is Saugat isn't a really a town at all, at least not in the traditional sense of the word. It's more useful to think of Saugat as a Petri dish for deregulation and tax breaks. Oh, no. It wasn't built for people, but instead to protect the dregs of capitalism. <laughs> Great. It was originally called Monsanto. Oh, shit. And so it's like an incorporated village of like 175 people that has a bunch of like industrial waste problems. Okay. Yeah, that's very much in Jay Farrar's wheelhouse. Yeah, so like pre pre EPA, uh they were, that little town was like the largest producer of PCBs in the country. Okay. And it's the it's the town that has that uh that's that creek, it's called Dead Creek, which okay. I don't think is is ironic <laughs> that is like they had to close off because it was like the 
animals were drinking from it and getting chemical burns. Great. And they were having like issues of spontaneous combustion. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty grim like worldview. Yeah, that ain't great. So I just, but this is the second quote that I really want to get your thoughts on. And I, cause I think this is, this is really good. I really like this. Uh, he says, future archaeologists studying the cartography of Saugat will immediately understand the spirit of the place from the street names alone. Industrial Parkway, Vector Drive, Nickel Avenue, American Bottom Road, and Monsanto Avenue. <laughs> Jesus. That, I can get pretty pissed, I guess, about people who are like empty boosters for capitalism, you know, in the abstract, but like will not admit that things like this exist where, you know, there's, there's just a town, a company town that is just a poisonous spot on the map. Yeah. And it, it, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like this is like Jay Farrar's like soapbox that he's going to keep digging into for the rest of his career. Really? Well, I mean, it's funny. Like I was thinking ahead to the next album and I started thinking about the, the coal miners song and you know, I'm not, I'll keep all that in my pocket until yeah, we get there. Keep your powder dry. I'm but, not. uh, you know, it just, that's the same thing. Like coal mining is all about like these awful company towns that just fuck the people who work there and fuck the environment. And I, I, you know, like it's not the most rockin' subject matter of all time, but like it reflects well on Jay Farrar that he cares about this shit and, write songs about it. Yeah. I, I just, I wonder if as they were, as they were working with the marketing apparatus of whatever <laughs> record company they were, they were involved with, I think they were still on Rockville at this point. Yeah. That, that they're like guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's some, one of the Rockville suits is just like tugging at his collar. <laughs> like, hey, um, what, what if, uh, you guys ever listen to the Beach Boys? <laughs> you ever thought about just fun in the sun? Early Beach Boys. Yeah. <laughs> None of this pet sound stuff. Like, like surfing USA. Just, come on, guy. Jay, just get aboard. Hit the waves. <laughs> Have some fun. I, I just, uh, I could just see a, a record executive reading. They're poisoning the air for personal wealth and just inter- <laughs> interpreting it differently, like as a. You know, it's like an underhanded dig at the record industry. Totally. <laughs> I, that's interesting, though. That um, I, I, it was a, a nice piece of research, I guess. Like I, yeah, thanks Google. <laughs> I didn't really do anything. I just, yeah. I just pulled up the Google article. I, you at least thought to do it. That, that puts you ahead of me. Well, I, I listened to it and I'm like, this seems pretty descriptive. This is this, you know, is this just like a amalgamation of different things but yeah. it appears to all be related to this town huh. in uh, Illinois. So is it is Saugat close to St. Louis? Yeah, it's it's close to East St. Louis. Which I I've not been able to find anything concrete on this, but I've always heard the rumor that when John Carpenter was making Escape from New York, he filmed some of it in East St. Louis. I think I've heard that too. Um, but I couldn't find any confirmation on that that yeah. because he wanted some like hellscape (laughs) (laughs) uh, a pretty good friend of mine from Nebraska uh, did his undergrad in St. Louis and I just remember him talking about how 
you know, even then in the nineties, like Monsanto was just omnipresent in town and had just a shitty, shitty reputation. And I, you know, I I don't know if there's anything comparable in the twin cities. Like we've got targets omnipresent and kind of scuzzy, but I don't think they're bad to the level that Monsanto is bad. Yeah. I I think at some level it's hard to be a large company that makes those type of products without being kind of at least appearing shady. Yeah. Kind of the same way that you cannot, you can't run for president. Like like you, the process of running for president would winnow out. Yeah. Anyone you'd want to have be president. Yeah. Yeah. Like you need to have some very specific character flaws just to get there. You, it's probably the same thing for large companies. That's why I've been advocating for just having people run the Eliminator from the old American <laughs> Gladiators. You're not a lottery man? Just pull somebody's name out and they're the president? No, I, I mean, you you got to earn it. Like, you're going to have to get past a Gladiator who's you know, firing tennis balls at you. and You know, by that metric, that would mean that the uh, the most qualified politician we've ever lived under at any level would be Jesse Ventura. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, Gerald Ford, he played football. Right? That's true. Yeah. I somehow this way afield, but, uh, I, on December 7th, I was talking on Twitter to some people about, uh, just the ships that were involved. And we got talking about how, um, the American and Japanese carriers of the forties had wooden decks. And so someone's like, well, if you're on a ship with a wooden deck, like how would you not just want to play basketball on it? So I did some Googling and it turns out that if you Google, so this isn't how I got there, but, um, if you Google Gerald Ford basketball, you get these crazy pictures of Gerald Ford playing basketball (laughs) on the, uh, aircraft elevator, of a carrier in 1944 and like and 1944 Gerald Ford was cut. Yeah. Yeah. This is very, very athletic. But, uh, so yeah, I guess you're right. Like, yeah. It probably wouldn't do so well now. But, uh, <laughs> Being dead. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's be harder for him. Harder, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Harder for him. Not impossible, but huh? difficult. Um, <laughs> getting back to Saugat wind. I don't know. Uh, I have nothing to contribute that's as interesting as what you brought in with the town of Saget. Do you, uh, and I've always kind of liked this line that the weatherman says fair, but he looks like a liar. Something about that. Well, there's this like, uh, my experience living in a small town is, you know, there's like, you're suspicious of everything. And for some reason, TV weathermen, especially, I guess, because like, because it's hard to predict the weather and they're yeah. wrong a lot. Yeah. And like yeah. you see that every day. Um, so, you know, I feel like he's, that, that's a good expression of a sentiment I recognize, I guess. Yeah. No, I, I just, I've always, it can be interpreted a number of different ways. Like the, the corporate PR flack is telling you, Oh, don't worry. The, you know, yeah. this, this Creek is fine. People drink from it all the time, <laughs> but it's like, clearly he's full of shit. Right. Yeah. So he looks like a liar. Yeah. So as good as the words are, do you feel like Farrar's singing, like, I don't know, to me it feels like his vocal is a little limp, or he just, he's not enunciating as much as he usually does, or, I I don't know, there's there's something that's not as developed with the way he sings it, it feels like. 
Yeah, he's got such a powerful voice that he's. I, I wonder if he's trying to if he's trying to make that juxtaposition between the the loud and quiet, yeah, and kind of holding something back in the voice for the for the big guitar part. That would make sense. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, I've I've always said if if I could sing like that, I would do nothing else. Like, I feel like <laughs> yeah. it's probably not as much fun for him, but yeah, like his his voice is so unique that I feel like it it. Yeah. It, it can always be the star. Yeah, totally. I And it's funny because, you know, so it feels like he's holding himself back a little bit vocally, but, you know, and then he swings the guitar around a bunch. The drum part is as big, you know, like I, I think that's really what kicks the, the loud parts over the top is Hydorn. Um, there's, this is one of the most like Tweety absent songs in the Uncle Tupelo catalog. Yeah. It's uh this is this is not particularly related, but and I don't think we talked about this last time, but in the either the Tweety book or the interview, he talked about when he was forming Wilco and he was trying to think about it from the record company's perspective. Yeah. And they're like, I'm going to offer a record con- contract to the other singer from Uncle Tupelo <laughs> who's not Jay Farrar. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's pretty amazing when you step back and think about it, that both of them went on to be successful because in this phase of uncle Tupelo, it's pretty clear who's holding the cards. Absolutely. It's uh, you know, I mean, I, I suppose that's not unprecedented though. Like the one thing that jumps out to me is it's like, if you look at the Beatles, you know, everybody, everybody is like, well, Lennon and McCartney, that's where it's at. Um, but then the Beatles break up and I think George Harrison's solo career just annihilates the other Beatles. Yeah. He for sure had the best album, I think. You know, I mean, and like, like Lennon and McCartney had some good solo things, but like, I don't know, Harrison just like, like Jeff Tweedy, Harrison just like erupted. um, Yeah. I wonder if that's because, and you know, we're sort of experiencing it later, but it was kind of both Lennon and McCartney were insufferable at different points. Yeah. And you know, George Harrison was kind of more of the even keeled guy. Yeah. You know, Ringo, Ringo is kind of Ringo. He, <laughs> he is what he is. Yeah. He's, he's a really good drummer. Yeah. Just, he's, he's clearly fourth. If you're <laughs> for ranking post Beatles output. And yet he's got a pretty good chance of being the last man standing. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he just has to I don't know, send Paul McCartney a bunch of processed sugar and <laughs> yeah, no, that's yep. uh, that's neither here nor there. But yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it, I was trying to think of another example of of a band you got to know that went solo. Yeah, I I mean, there have to be other. I don't know. I don't know enough about the history of faces to know like you know like, i know people in faces went on to do yeah i mean ron wood joined the rolling stone yeah but I, I guess that's the thing where like he didn't you know it's not like we're like ron wood's solo albums <laughs> are so great he kind of I, I mean really he was kind of a step down for the stones you know yeah. like mick taylor was better in the stones than i don't know i i don't know it's uh yeah i mean i guess if if i knew more about the like kind of the Eric Clapton 
Like, is it the is it the Yardbirds or the Animals? One of those bands that Clapton is in had at one point or another had like four of the top twenty five greatest guitarists of all time. I, was he in the Yardbirds? I, I I think it's the Yardbirds. Yeah, I think because they had uh, like Beck, Jeff Beck, and Jimmy Page. And yeah, I couldn't remember if Clapton was. Maybe he's in not. There. Maybe I made that up. No, I think if he wasn't in it, he at least was adjacent. I. <laughs> all of my Yardbirds knowledge comes from like th- the worst rock book I've ever read. Um, Hammer of the Gods, the Led Zeppelin saga. I, I don't see how that could be bad. That, uh, but I, I remember there's a lot of Eric Clapton content early on. That's interesting. Are they just trying to set the stage of like what was going on? Yeah. Well, they're talking about the Yardbirds and I, I can't remember for sure if it was that he was one of the, sequential guitarists or if he just was approached and told him to fuck off do they cover the that song that jimmy page just totally lifted from that guy that he toured with they do Um, oh wow but so that book is kind of an interesting thing because all of well not all a lot of pages thefts are acknowledged but they're like absolutely excused in the book like like the, the point of view of that book is like Jimmy Page can do no wrong unless what he's doing wrong is awesome. And then, <laughs> and, and, and awesome is in quotes there because that usually means sleeping with very underage groupies. And like the guy that wrote the book thinks that is the coolest thing in the world. And it's really creepy how much he's like, yeah, man, she was only. 15 but her parents were into it and he was like jesus christ dude sounds like horrible parenting <laughs> yes uh, putting it mildly it uh yeah i don't i don't know when i when i learned about that kind of the the sort of history of of playing fast and loose with other people's work that that kind of knocked them down a peg for me yeah i agree but none of that in uncle tupelo <laughs> well, the next song is a Soft Boys cover, but well, I, I think sure, they, it's a cover. They it's, did acknowledge that it was a, yeah, a cover. totally different. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, should we take yeah, a break and yeah, then come back it. into the? All right. are back um before we get in i want to destroy you i do want to acknowledge that off mic uh you were right eric clapton was in the yardbirds i'd like this in the annals of history this is the first time i've ever been right and king keith has been wrong uh, that is you were wrong about that ironically <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time i can remember <laughs> uh, um man i'd recommend not googling yardbirds 2019 tour if you don't want to lose your faith in humanity just a, a note to the listeners i mean honestly like it makes you appreciate the fact that uncle tupelo had the decency to break up yeah i mean just end it uh, just show some dignity for fuck's sake um also eric clapton like i just i can't say his name without just want to leave a marker out there that we could do a 45 minute um, special edition show about how much I hate Eric Clapton. <laughs> I, yeah, I, and I want to do that show because <laughs> I, I will be happy to facilitate that discussion. <laughs> that, uh, if, we, if we ever start a Patreon, maybe that could be our, 
or like our you know subscribers only content is just episodes where we just rants about <laughs> you know who I hate oh man Clapton he's, he sucks so bad he's just such a racist fucking coke addled dickhead yeah, he's like 75 he's probably not that coke addled anymore probably still racist <laughs> yeah I'm, I don't know there's just Google Clapton no snow no show and you'll see my favorite picture of Eric Clapton <laughs> anyway um, so I want to destroy you I guess I, I'm in the mindset yeah. for this song I and I blame the song yeah that's right songs affect your emotions so I don't, I don't know if you how, what your experience with this song was, but I heard it first on a like bootleg cassette. Yeah, I think that that tracks. I and and I think I heard that version before I heard the soft. Oh, for way before. I didn't even know it was a cover until the reissue album. Yeah, and, I, and it says you know it gives Robin Hitchcock the songwriting credit. But it uh, and this is I know this is going to date me as kind of an old person, but I remember being really excited when iTunes added the Soft Boys yeah. version of this song. Yeah. So they got my 99 cents. <laughs> the, the Soft Boys version is, I, I think that's one of the perfect songs. Yeah, it's fantastic. And it's a its a great song. I'm, it, I'm a little disappointed that I didn't learn about it before that. You know, but like, like one of our recurring themes is how Scattershot just knowing about anything was in the past. Yeah, it just, it seems like it's, it, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> We're still rolling. The dog is on the prowl. That's right. <laughs> She's holding steady, Captain. It's force of nature. She currently wants to play with this toy. Um, yeah, I just, I, I feel like there, I spent a lot of time in my late 20s, mid 20s, trying to trying to be the, the guy who knew all the cool, obscure stuff. Yeah. Which is, first of all, is a dumb thing to try to do. But second of all, it's like, I feel like that exercise didn't clue me into like the really truly good stuff. Like yeah. I think it just clued me into listening to a bunch of really marginal stuff. It would have been like I would I much prefer this song to a lot of the stuff that I was I was trying to be cutting edge on. Yeah. It uh, I don't know, that's tough. It, it's tough when you're young cuz like it's the urge is right there to try and define yourself not just by what you listen to but like by how unusual what you listen to is and like i mean like i i think anyone who has enough interest in music to be listening to this show probably did some level of that but that doesn't take you anywhere good really yeah it was just it was sort of a currency though right like if yeah. you were the first person to introduce your group of friends to some band you kind of got that like cachet like yeah. oh he's the guy that turned me on to calexico or something yeah but and then there's this weird thing where like then you own that band and like yeah i don't know it's weird Strange, in, in, in like in the global scheme of things, like looking back at it now, it's so obvious that it really doesn't matter. Yeah, that it just seems like a, it seems like a lot of mental energy was maybe wasted on that. In my... For me, the the uh, there's just kind of this interesting, like it, it doesn't mean anything, but there's this funny parallel where I found out about the Soft Boys by being a giant REM fan, um, and I knew Peter Buck was really into, you know, he was really into the soft boys and really into Robin Hitchcock and like recorded with him a bunch. Um, and so, you know, Peter Buck was my, my vector there. Um, 
Also, really, an Uncle Tupelo. Yeah, exactly. Like, like that was you know my first that part of my initial like, well, I'm going to take Uncle Tupelo seriously was hearing that Peter Buck produced an album. I was like, oh wow, they, they got to be something then. Yeah. So we'll get into that more next time too. I don't know. Yeah. So like when we finished out No Depression. Um, by the way, so all the noise you're hearing, Theo's awake and active now, so there's just there's going to be dog going on. But uh, when we finished No Depression, you know, we talked about that super disappointing cover of Sin City. Yeah. Um, that specifically failed because they, like, the song is built around Graham Parsons harmonizing with himself and Tweedy and Farrar just face planted on that. I think it's wild that I Want to Destroy You is built around Robin Hitchcock harmonizing around harmonizing with himself. And uh, Tweedy and Farrar do an okay job with it here. Like, I think they do a really good job. I think I think it's... I'm not often a fan of the honest cover um, where you try to, you, you know, you try to do it kind of like the, the previous. Like, I usually yeah. like the, you know, the the cover that's that's unique and has some different elements but yeah. I feel like they do a really good job of it they, they do that, that's a good that's a good way to describe that cover approach too that's because that's definitely like a distinction yeah it's it, it's it's just a it's a different style yeah you know there are some that like the uh, yeah, I guess I have Calexico on the brain but they do a, a cover of that love song yeah uh, alone again yeah and to me it's almost I can. I have trouble distinguishing between the two. It's They're, like it's so spot on. Yeah, it's like the love version with slightly better production. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's the but it's like the same. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Or like the the golden smog. Same thing with the golden smogs version of Starman. Yeah. Um. You know, it's just they're playing it completely straight, and it sounds like Bowie, but with digital production instead of. You know, shitty early seventies production. I don't, and it's weird because then, like, a thing that I always loved about, like, a particular thing that I loved about Golden Age Wilco was how Tweedy would have them do, you know, the other approach to covers where they would just take the song apart and do it in some really weird ass way. Um, so I guess he can do both things. Is my point. Yeah, I think I mean either either are valid, uh, but I typically do like the the reimagined version. Yeah, uh, you know, like so I'm gonna say this, and this is gonna sound controversial because I'm not a fan of the band Rage Against the Machine. Okay, but their cover of Maggie's Farm is I've never heard that. Is, it takes it in a different direction, and I, and I feel like that's <laughs> I, I, I feel like that if if you. I, I would give it a shot. It, I'm it's, curious. It's, it's, it's really interesting what, huh. they've, what they've done with Maggie. It, I, I was impressed when I heard it. I'll check that out. That I, <laughs> I just I can't even imagine what that would sound like. No, I just I, which I, is good. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't I don't really like their style of music, but I, I do like that. I, I do like that cover because I think it's really it's really unique. You're more of an audio slave guy. Totally, totally. Um, I can't. Yeah. I can't get enough of the Audio Slave. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard an Audio Slave song. So uh, maybe I'd love it. I, I. I don't think I have either. I have. I walked into a gas station once and heard a gas station attendant like. It was just this young dude talking on the phone to his friend about how great Audio Slave was, and. I guess that's you know that, that's the kind of band Audio Slave is. 
Yeah, so this is just just a little window into my personality and kind of what a dick I am in real life. But uh, my wife and I were at a dinner party a couple weeks ago, and some someone showed up with a new boyfriend who had to leave early because he was going to see uh, a Crash Test Dummies concert. Again with the Crash Test Dummies. And did I tell the story already? No, oh. but they've popped up in my life lately. And uh, and I made the mistake because this is just because I'm kind of a dick about this stuff. Uh, I said, "Oh, what casino are they playing?" At? <laughs> <laughs> Which was not well received. I am mildly shocked that they are still. I, I shouldn't be shocked that they're still touring because you just established that the Yardbirds are still touring. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But so just to, just to bring it back to the, the song, um, <laughs> I would say that this is among my, like my favorite, like diss songs or like angry yeah. songs. Like it's up there with masters of war in terms of like, just raw. I hate you. Yes. Vibe. I used to have this theory that if you were pissed at somebody you'd give them the finger and that, you know, that communicates you're pissed, but like not that well because everybody just, you know, you just flip people off left and right. It's just a reflex. It's better if you stop and like stare at them and give them the thumbs down with eye contact. Cause you're saying like, I have thought about this right? and from a calm point of view, I say, fuck you. And I feel like that's what this song does. Yeah. It's a, it's a contract. It's offer and acceptance. <laughs> exactly. It, uh, I, imagine what this must have been like if they did it live. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's just such a great... It's got some great, great lines in it. I really like the epox upon the media and everything you read. They tell you your opinions, and they're very good indeed. Ah, that's... Sorry, there's more dog damage here. And it's funny, because, like, that indeed thing... In the Soft Boys version, that kind of leans on Hitchcock's British accent to carry it. Yeah. And it's weird that Farrar can make that sound cool with, you know, his like mud bottom St. Louis accent, but it, it works. Yeah. It, it's, uh, I always kind of enjoy that when they, when it's kind of like the Sex Pistols songs, when they, when they're able to rhyme words that really don't rhyme <laughs> yeah. in like American English. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, I don't know. Jay Farrar does a good job with this one. I, I really, I also like like this last line where it says, "And when I have destroyed you, I'll come picking at your bones, and you won't have a single atom left to call your own." Like, like that's some, that's some dark like Leonard Cohen level <laughs> shit right there. That's he's put some thought into it. Yeah. He's gonna fuck you up. <laughs> it's, it's no es bueno, right? I uh, so apparently this was the uh, this was the B side on the Gun single. Huh. And that, you know, that's just, that's, that's uh, yeah, the talk about juxtaposition. Yeah. I, when you went to Puerto Rico, you know, you brought, uh, brought back for me and Rebecca, those, uh, those extremely high alcohol content juice boxes. Yeah. Gasolina. gasolina. That's kind of what this single would have been, you know, just a lot of power in one little bag. So interestingly, one of the flavors of gasolina that which I didn't bring back for you guys is called is just called Tu Madre. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, bueno. It's impressive. Yes. See, 
Um, yeah, so Uncle Dupelo, I want to destroy you. Good cover is, is what we're coming around to. Yeah, and I think I think it's one of those one of those things where it's it's some I, I'm just some of those some of these songs are covers or gateways to other yeah. music. This one really wasn't for me uh, yeah. until I was able to establish that it was a cover. Yeah, but it it really has you know one of the cool things about having Spotify now is that you can put in Robin Hitchcock or the Soft Boys. And it'll give you like access to all these other punk punk bands that are pre-punk bands that have one or two songs that are really good. Yeah. And it's kind of I like I feel like that's a really fun thing that can happen now is you can go down that rabbit hole. Absolutely. That well, you know, there's that famous uh there's that famous compilation that all the early punks listen to called Nuggets. That's all. And like it's kind of fun to just like make your own, you know. 15 years later nuggets compilation of like all the shit, you know, all, all these bands that had like one or two great songs and just like, I'm going to assemble that. And I don't know, like that's, that's a luxury we have now that we can do that. Yeah. And we could do it in like real time. Yeah. That's the, that's the crazy thing. Yeah. It's, and I, and I aware that I sound like old man river whenever I bring that up. <laughs> It's okay. None, none, none of the youths are listening to this anyway. <laughs> the youths. The youths. Anything else on I Want to Destroy You? No. I, I'd just like to say for the record, I do not want to destroy you. Yes. Sam, you, you can have your atoms. <laughs> all of them. Excellent. Uh, so, well, let's, uh, I don't know, let's talk a little bit in closing about Still Feel Gone. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk, do you want to just talk briefly about the demos that are after? Oh, that? yeah. I... What do you got? I got. No, I don't have much. Well, so the, the the only thing I really have is that is that when you listen to the demos, it, it feels like the tracks that made it to the album, there was sort of a decision made at some point that we're we're gonna take the less country version of yeah. each of these songs, yeah. and put it on the album. They're like there's a lot of banjo that gets left on the rack. Yeah, it's it it just is. It, it feels like they were. I don't know. I wonder if they were pushed into those decisions just based on what, what I know the next album is like. Yeah, exactly. If yeah. they felt like if they felt like they needed a an album that was more country folk to yeah. sort of get back to even. Yeah. But yeah, it, uh, I feel like it, when you listen to it, you're like, okay, I can see why they didn't choose this because I mean that they're demos, so they're kind of a lot of them are kind of poorly recorded. Yeah. Or they've got weird levels like the. Like the Watch Me Fall demo, the bass is just way too loud. Yeah, um, which is just it drives me nuts. But it, but it just they sound then they sound a little flat. Maybe they don't. They're just not. They're yeah, because probably because they're unfinished. Right? Yeah, they're, they're not, just like, well, let's get this down for reference. We'll we'll make it cool later. But I wonder. I, it would be interesting to to learn what the process was and how much creative control they felt like they had at this point. No, yeah. or are they in a position where they can say? Now that's just because you, know, you you think about what, especially Tweety later, who basically told told an album or a record company to shove it when they wanted him to, yeah, <laughs> wanted him to change around Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Yeah, it's interesting to you know you could look at that as like well maybe he just was used to a level of control and felt comfortable telling him to fuck themselves. Or maybe he had been pushed around and was finally like, no more. 
The line is drawn here. I think that's probably a thing. If you're, yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody likes to be feel like they're pushed around. Like right. it's not a pleasant experience. Well, and that seems to be one of the recurring experiences in the music yeah, industry. Definitely. That, you know, like, like to the point of cliche. Yeah, it. Uh, I I don't know. Kind of. It, it, this is not necessarily related, but when you hear like stand-up comics talking about how hard it was for them to get stage time coming up. And when they got famous, they sometimes like would bump other lesser comics yeah, because that happened to them. Yeah. And they felt like it was sort of like completing the cycle. Not down with that. No, me either. I, f- I feel like it, you know, I feel like at some point you reflect on God, that sucked when somebody did that to me. So I'm not going to do that. I, this is way far afield, but um, I just feel like American society in general these days in 2018. North American society? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mess of the. <laughs> well, no, that, that actually that made me think. And it, I would say definitely not North American society because I don't think this is the case in Mexico. Probably not in Canada. I think this is just the US of A. Uh, there's like this thing where like empathy is. For pussies? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like, like being able to think like, oh, that sucked when that happened to me. I don't want to do that. Like that's, that, that feels like an outsider sentiment right now. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, uh, I think if you talked to most people, like just talk to them, like we're talking now, I think they would agree that empathy is a good thing. I just, I think it's hard for a lot of people to put it into context with, people as a whole not like an individual person but like a group of people yeah all right sorry we had to break there the dog was digging a hole in the couch (laughs) keith also told me i was getting too political that's right that uh you take that scott walker business (laughs) somewhere else this is a family podcast he's a family man (laughs) sure (laughs) um man i i just i hope no one I hope no one in the state of Wisconsin who is serving him washes their hands for the rest of his life. Hope that man is eating little bits of fecal matter. Yeah, I mean, don't you feel like being Scott Walker is its own punishment? Yeah. Honestly, I should drive to Madison. (laughs) Yep, throw my 12-string in the case, drive to Madison, and just play I Want to Destroy You on the lawn of his yard or the lawn of his house. Yeah, I would recommend just following him around for like a year. You know, like how people used to follow like the dead? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so do you know anything about the musician Scott Walker? No. Like, I'm not, I I don't know a ton about him. Is he related to Jerry Jeff Walker? I I assume not. (laughs) I don't, I don't know for sure. Um, You know, I know he's like an experimental musician, kind of Laurie Anderson style. Um people cite him as a Bowie influence and I just the vagaries of hearing about people. I heard about Scott Walker, the shitty politician <laughs> before I heard about Scott Walker, the experimental musician. And I was just like, well, what, what the fuck? What? Yeah. It's like office space. It's the, the guy <laughs> whose name is Michael Bolton. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, he should have to change his name. <laughs> yeah. I agree. <sighs> I don't know. Oh, okay, so still feel gone. Wrap up. 
Yeah, so just to wrap up, I mean, I think I think there's some good songs on this album. I think I think that it just and I mean, I think you could make the case that Gun is one of their top songs. I think Gun and Looking for a Way Out are both like as good as they ever got. Yeah. But then it's just some filler in there that's and yeah. and it's like it's stuff that I want to like. Like I as we've talked before, I really want to like the Minutemen. I just don't. Yeah. Um, and I like the that since you clued me on to the callback to uh, to the Minuteman song, like I really like that. You know, it's just it's just me and Jay playing our guitars. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, that's it, it has a it has some cool moments. I just think as an album, it's hard to put it. it I mean, you're not going to put it one or two. So I guess yeah. the question is three or four, and. For me, I think I like the energy of the first album better. Yeah, I agree. It's it does the same thing, you know. It's more raw. It's less produced. You can't hear the drums as well, but there's more passion. And yeah, it's just it, it's better. I don't know. It's this weird thing where, like, in a band with four albums, it's not like you can say that this album isn't essential. Um, you know, especially when it's got two of their best songs leading it off, but. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier about the Led Zeppelin box set. Yeah. Um, if there was the Uncle Tupelo box set. Well, they made that anthology. They did, yeah. I, I think, honestly, I don't remember what the track listing for the anthology was, but if Gone and Looking for a Way Out were the only two Still Feel Gone songs on it, I wouldn't consider that a travesty. I'd be like, yeah, good choice. Leave more room for... Yeah, I mean, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get to this when we get to Anodyne, but it's almost like you got to put like every song on Anodyne yeah, on exactly. there. So it's. <laughs> Save some room. Right. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I When we were on the back stretch of No Depression, I was really excited to get to Still Feel Gone. And I think it was mostly because of the first two songs. As we've moved from the album, I feel like I've kind of talked myself into not liking this album as nearly as much as I thought I did. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, because I don't, I don't think there are a lot. There are a lot of bad songs on it. I just yeah. think it's not the maybe the problem is we're comparing it to the other three albums. Yeah, or specifically the other the next two albums, which have a lot of really really good songs on them. So it's hard to it, it's hard to look at it and like in a vacuum. It's probably a pretty good album. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, if if. <laughs> If you're in Omaha and it's 1992 and you've just been hearing a lot of Boston on the radio and someone hands you Still Feel Gone, you're going to be like, holy fuck. Right. Yeah. But it's uh, it's interesting. I'm fighting the temptation to Google if Boston is still touring. <laughs> I'm going to bet they are. I, Some, I, like, I would bet they are as well. Like none of the original members, but, you know, just a bunch of dudes with a. It's got to be a weird headspace to get yourself into. Like. Uh, like where, oh uh, what do you what do you do in musically? Oh yeah, I'm in Boston. Oh <laughs> awesome! Like with the uh, with the original members? No, no, no just a, a bunch of second run, second run guys. But but we're Boston. We legally we own the name, <laughs> so we are Boston, motherfucker. It's like Menudo or something, where it's <laughs> it's more of a just a it's like a troop, not not necessarily. Yeah, well, I think well okay, so. We're sitting here, um, and it, on the table in between us is a copy of Dave Weigel's The Show That Never Ends. It's a book about prog rock. There's a thing in that book that just reminds me of a thing that I saw in real time in 
I guess it was the late eighties and I would watch MTV and take MTV news, you know, like whatever MTV news covered. If Kurt Loder says it's serious, it's serious enough for me. And, uh, they had a story about how four members of yes from the eighties were in a legal battle with the current or no four members of yes from the seventies, like the, the original like proggy. Yes. We're in a legal battle with the then current members of yes, who had done all the pop hits. Um, and who owns the lonely heart. Well, so the Lonely Heart people were the the, the poppy people, ah. um, and the other the four previous members wanted to go on tour, but the current members of Yes like took them to court to block them from being able to perform any Yes music. And you know, Kurt Loder is <laughs> does this like impassioned editorial on MTV. He's like, any high school cover band could play these Yes songs, but Anderson, Bruford, Wakeman, and Howe cannot. I don't know what. The... So the interesting thing about that example, not to not to derail your your thought, but I'm derailed. Like Kurt, Kurt Loder is the only person in the entire MTV <laughs> organization that knows that there's a distinction between current yes and prior yes, right? Oh, like, I think there's a whole world of yes fans who are just are gonna yeah, hunt you down with a pipe. Yeah, but none, none of them are working at MTV. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, the story has a happy ending. Um. After that, in like 90-ish or so, all the former members of Yes gathered together and did the Yes Unity Tour, <laughs> where they would just like spell each other during the set and play the hits. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like didn't, didn't the band Styx have a similar thing where they kicked Dennis DeYoung out of the band and then wouldn't let him perform? Yeah. So it's like... He couldn't call himself the voice of Sticks, even though he was the lead singer. He was literally the voice of Sticks. <laughs> he had to call himself like Dennis DeYoung performing the music of Sticks, which he wrote. <laughs> I mean, like again, the the Ferrar Tweedy rivalry or whatever the hell, you know, like we all talked about it a bunch. We all picked a side. We all still talk, you know, like even now people talk about it. But at least they kept it. <laughs> at least they didn't fall into that shit. Yeah, I mean, probably because they didn't have the success that. But I mean, if it's if at least they didn't, you know, like that for me the the uh, Creedence Clearwater revisited. Revisit? Jesus Christ! Is <laughs> like, you know, like side question: Who the hell wants to see Creedence without John Fogerty? Like, what's what's the point of that? Well, I mean, you were just telling me about. You were just telling me about Big Brother and the Holding Company playing. Yeah, I don't want, yeah right. I don't want to see that either. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, well, we are running long here. We got anything else? No, no, I'm good. All right. Well, we uh, we will be back in 2019, jumping into the uh, this, the latter half of the Uncle Toop catalog. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening. I'm Keith Pilly. You can find me on Twitter at Keith Pilly, all one word. And I'm Chad Cook. You can find me on MySpace and Friendster <laughs> and also uh, Twitter at Cook6252. Uh, can you find your dog on Dogster? I hope not. You oh man, you do not love your dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, uh, you know, whatever venue you find us. Just um, mean. <laughs> we would love to hear from you. Uh, if you like or don't like or have any opinion whatsoever about anything we've said, um, and if you dug the show, please, you know, just 
tell somebody about it who might like it. Um, you know, we thrive on audience, I guess, or at least I do. Um, also, go to iTunes if you could and leave a review or Google Play. Uh, thanks a lot, and we will talk to you again next year. Ominous. <laughs>